Everybody is going through a storm, has gone through a storm, or you're going into one. Some storms are self-inflicted. I give them to myself, and I find myself in trouble there. Some because we live in a sin-cursed society. Some storms are happen because we just uh, we go through a time of God's sovereign work in our life to teach us. And then there are other storms that uh, God is working in our life, and they're not really our fault. They're done because of somebody else. Someone else has done something wrong and has complicated your life and mine. And with that in mind, I want to remind you about the storm that Paul is in, and God has inspired all of the Scriptures. All Scriptures give my inspiration of God, and really, a good pastor, and I'm not so sure I'm there. I've got to keep working on that, but I want to give you the whole counsel of God. However, this passage of Scripture has helped me in the storms that we're facing. Many things I've done and decisions I've made over the last uh, few weeks have directed me back to this passage, and it's helped me tremendously. I want it to help you. I want it to help you in this difficult time. Apostle Paul is arrested in, uh, in Jerusalem. He is attacked by his own people, and, and he is rescued by the Roman government, and he realizes that he, to stay safe and to stay alive, he is going to have to appeal to Caesar. He's going to have to get to Rome. Now, we hear that spoken the first time in Acts chapter 19, and 19, and 23, 25, and again, and 27, God confirms to Paul, you're going to go to Rome. He's got an inside track. He knows where he's going. And may I say to you, Rome is not heaven. Certainly, Caesar's court is not the place where God lives. However, Rome is a place of service. God has something for him. And dear friend, in every storm that you go through and I go through, God has something for you. You can get mad and you can get uh, frustrated and slam doors and kick the dog and get all kinds of excitement going because you're going through a storm or you can decide, Lord, I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to have confidence in you, confidence in your presence, confidence in your purposes, what you're trying to accomplish. And I'm going to be confident in your power to get me from where I am to where you want me to be and doing what you want me to do. That's where Paul is. But as we open the pages of Acts chapter 27, we'll see that he has now been assigned. He's in Caesarea Philippi, and he has been given uh, a Julius. This is a centurion guard. And I asked someone to find me a picture of a centurion guard. They're ugly guys right here, but here's one right here. You can see it there, a centurion guard in the Roman Empire. That's kind of what they uh, deemed they looked like. And this guy, is he's, he's one of these men who has a soldier in the centurion, or uh, in the Roman army, and you can see in there. So he's got those, that guy and a few others just like him that are on this ship taking him to Rome, but it's not going to be an easy trip. So we find that uh, he has been given a guy named Julius. Now, Julius sees right quickly, I think, uh, because of the spirit of Paul, because of what's going on, this guy is not your average dude. He's not your average criminal. Something special about him. I think probably the people who worked in the jail, he stayed in two years under prison uh, hold by Felix, Festus, and then he got to see Agrippa. I'm sure that whenever they picked him up, they could just say to him, this guy is not bad news. You could trust him. 
He's going to be okay for you. Because we find that in one of the stops that Julius, uh, he allowed Paul to go off the ship, off the harbor, and visit with his friends. But when it was time to leave, they found themselves in the little island of Lasea, and a place where they called the Fair Havens, and there they were there, and they had a dilemma. It was October, November. It was not a good time to sail, but they wanted to get out of that podunk port and get on down the road, at least make it to Phoenicia, and hopefully get on into Rome. Paul knew there was problems. He perceived if we go out of this port, we're going to have some problems. And certainly that's exactly what happened. But the man who owned the ship and the captain uh, convinced the centurion, come on, ride with us. We can do this. We've done this our whole life. This is our ship. It's our risk. You're going to make it. Let's do it. And they went on a long journey. And they're trying to get to Rome. But we can see, I want to show you a, a little bit of the little example of maybe the ship they got on. It was an Alexandrian ship from Egypt. You see a picture of it there. And uh, it's a picture of one of the ones that might look like about 140, 150 feet long, 40 feet widest at its widest point. Has that big sail there, and God will reference that in the passage of Scripture that Luke writes for us. Here's another example of another one. I think they have another picture for me. Do we have another picture of a boat there, guys? Maybe not. Maybe you can watch the boat the rest of the service tonight. I'm not sure. Maybe there's a little bit of freeze up there on that situation. But that's what the boat looked like. And uh, I, 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 they're on this boat. They're making, there's a lot of uh, wheat. There's a lot of grain on this boat. And it's being, being uh, carried through the uh, ocean and the Mediterranean Sea. Looks like we're still stuck on the boat there. There may not be anything we can do. There we go. Well, let's go on to where they've gone. You can see on the far right of your screen, that's Caesarea. That's where he has been in jail by Felix and by Festus and by Agrippa. And now they, they sail there. And that first little trek, it was still kind of tumultuous. And they stop in a couple places. And then they make their way to that center of your screen there, the Fair Havens. And that's where they have a dilemma. And they, they take it. A long time had been done. It wasn't convenient to stay there. They had the crowd or the consensus was to get out of here. And uh, so they left against the advice of Paul, making their way across that Mediterranean Sea. And during that little space there, from the center of your screen to the left, uh, that's when they ran into your Clyden. They ran into this agitated fall and winter storm, and it was ugly. And for 14 days, they were tossed back and forth during this time. And there's a lot of things that happened. The people were overwhelmed. They lost hope. We find that they began to throw over the tackling of the ship. They lost a lot of their resources during this time. Uh, they just, a, a storm can cost you. A storm can be very costly. It can be expensive. It can be long and arduous. And it can be unexpected and overwhelming. And all of the above was the case for that little ship. There's 276 souls aboard. And we've learned a few things about it. I'll just rehearse with you. First of all, after a long, difficult time and quietness, Paul, the prisoner, says, after long abstinence, he said, hold on, guys, you should listen to me. And just to remind us, hey, there needs to be prayer and patience before opening our big mouth with our opinion in a storm. <laughs> Don't just say the first thing that comes to your mind. You might want to pray and be patient 
And we see Paul, he could have quickly said as soon as he felt the first bad wind, say, oh, I told you, I told you. No, but after long abstinence, they had gone through a place of no hope. He says, listen, we shouldn't have done this, but the Lord's met with me. And by the way, the Lord will meet with you. A couple things we saw there. We ought to comfort and edify others. We ought to believe God. That was one of the things we learned. We learned the value of one surrendered saint. You know what you can do for your neighborhood? Be a Holy Spirit-filled Christian. You know what you can do for your workplace during this storm? Be a godly man, a godly woman. You know what you can do for your community? Be a godly Christian. Don't blend into this world. Be a surrendered saint. The whole ship was helped because of one man. Now, he wasn't the only Christian. Aristarchus was on board, Aristarchus, as well as Dr. Luke, who was recording all this stuff, was on board. But thank God for a surrendered saint his influence, and the protection that comes when someone's walking with God in your storm. You be that person, I want to be that person. Then we find that we ought to look for Jesus in the storm. We ought to remember who we are. He created us uh, because he made us. We're his. He preserved us and sustained us. He's our preserver, but also he's our redeemer. We belong to him as a child of God, and if you're not sure you're saved, Oh, make sure you understand you're his by redemption. You need to be his by redemption. We learned about that. Whose we are and who we serve is something we learned. Not to be afraid and know that God has a purpose. And then on Sunday, we spoke a little bit about this. Storms can cause selfish tendencies in all of us. Whenever we get really pressured, you know who we think about? Ourselves. How is this going to affect my finances? How am I going to be able to pay for my kid's school bill? How am I going to, am I going to be able to keep my house? Am I going to be able to make my mortgage? Can I make my rent? What my, what's my landlord going to do for me? We start thinking very selfishly, and we see the example of the sailors and the soldiers in the, in the mix uh, and in the pressure of the storm. They were looking out for number one. That's something we don't want to do. We got to, we've got to resist selfish tendencies I've been so blessed during this difficult time. Many of our people have given more generously. They have served more faithfully. They have looked for ways to be a blessing. They're looking for ways to encourage. I was thinking about this the other day, just some things we can do while our gas prices are, are low. I thought about this. Maybe we could get people to sponsor one tank of gas, maybe at 50 or $60 for our 87 bus routes. They're going to go out when we start running them again and say, you know what? I want to pay for the the first tank of gas. I'll give that 60 bucks to fill up that first tank of gas. That might be something we can do, but people are willing to do something during this time, but to find someone to help and encourage, uh, resist selfish tendencies. Number two, and you guys who are here Sunday night, you got a barrel load from me on this one, because I was thinking about it. I, re I was all over this. You remember what happened? They felt like they got near to land, and the sailors who understood the sea perceived, we're getting close to land. They dropped down the lead uh, weight and, and said, boy, we're 120 fathoms or 100 feet, 125 feet deep here. And then went a little closer. It was 90 feet. They said, stop. We don't want to get against the rocks. Let's set out the anchors. They let out four anchors, and let's wait for the morning. They wished for the morning. They couldn't wait for the morning to see us land out there. And they didn't see land initially. But in the morning time, they faked like they were going to go set anchors out on the foreship in the front. But instead, they were jumping in a lifeboat, making their way to shore. 
And Paul said to the centurion, if these guys go ashore, we're dead. Why? Because they were skilled and experienced sailors. May I just remind you by way of review, and then I'll share with you some three things I think will be helpful for us tonight. Hey, skilled and experienced Christians stay in the boat. Don't meander off. Don't say you bought the t-shirt, you're done. Hey, listen, we need you. I need you. Your Sunday school class needs you. The young couples of our church need you. Hey, stay on the boat. Stay in the local church. Stay involved in the work of the Lord. Don't just roll over and retire. No, you return. You retread and say, listen, I'm still in this thing. All of us, all the way. And Paul challenged the people, don't get it. If these guys get out of the boat, these skilled and experienced sailors, we're all done. Someone is depending on you. Someone's depending upon you. Seniors in our high school, our underclassmen need you to step up. Do what you're supposed to do. Those of you who have experienced, your juniors, your upperclassmen, be a blessing to the junior hires. Hey, listen, stay in the boat. Don't leave. You single adults who graduated last year and year, out, year before that, stay in the boat. These other young people are looking to you. They need you. You're, you have a more experience. You have more skills. You can help us. Let's stay in the boat. Senior citizens, let's stay in the boat. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, it grieves me. When God's people who've been saved 30 years have more temptations to get out of the boat. Why? Because your going away matters. It gives great strength. And we lose great strength in that, in that person that knows that. I love it when new people get saved. You know, new people, oftentimes, they're, they're ready to serve. And sometimes people have been saved 25, 30 years. They're ready to get away. They're ready to take the escape and take the little lifeboat into some comfortable place. Don't do that. Stay engaged in the work of the Lord. Now let me share with you the second thing, and let's take our Bibles and look, if you would please, at Acts chapter 27, and let's look at, at verse number 33. Well, you know, the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat, the lifeboat sailed out, the, soldier, the sailors stayed on, and I'm grateful for they did. Verse 33, and while the day was coming, it was early morning, day was approaching, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this is the day, is the 14th day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. For 14 days, they have been in a horrible storm, seasick, miserable, probably not eating nothing, but they had probably eaten very little. They're wondering how long we're going to be out here on this boat. How long we're going to be out here in this mess. And they were conserving their food or they just didn't want to eat. They're, some of them were fasting because of religious reasons, trying to get a hold of their God. Others of them just were too sick, too miserable, and too weak to eat. Now Paul says, listen, I want you guys to take meat. 14 days, and we're going to need to eat. And why does he say that? Verse number 34. Wherefore I pray you, take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not a hair fall from, from the head of any of you. You're not even going to lose a hair. And the Bible tells us in verse number 35, and when he had thus spoken, when he had challenged them to eat, he took bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. I imagine when he finished his prayer, everybody on the boat said, amen. <laughs> Even the, un the ungodly people, the atheists probably said, amen. He gave thanks. And he said, you guys eat something. Notice what happened in the next verse, would you? The Bible says in verse number 36, 
Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. I want you to notice here, in a storm, you need to take in nourishment. That's what I want to tell you. In a difficult time, you need to spend a little more time in the Word of God. You spend more time with your wonderful God. Take in the nourishment. Hey, listen, we're separated from each other together, together a little bit. But let me tell you, you need Christians. They need you. I need you. You need each other. Hey, listen, make sure you take in nourishment of fellowship, of doctrine. That's time in the Word of God. Listening to God's Word. Listening to God's man. Listening to God's Sunday school teacher. Take in the nourishment. Take time to pray. Prayer is not just a one-way street. It's not just you talking to God. I believe with all my heart, God speaks to us. Today, I spent time on my knees in prayer. Last night, I got on my office floor, and I knelt down there and pleaded with God to help me, to help our nation, to help our country. And while I was talking to God, I was confident the Holy Spirit was talking to me. He was helping me, and he'll help you. And difficult, and difficult times of storms. Sometimes people go through storms, they quit going to church. Listen, that's not very smart. That's where you need to go. You get back to the things of God. Don't run away from God in a storm. Run to Him. Let yourself get nourished in difficult times of your life. Hey, whenever it came time, Paul said, listen, 14 days we haven't eaten. We've been fasting, some for religious reasons, some because you're physically sick. It's all weakened us. Let's eat. And he prayed, and he says, God's going to help us. Not anyone's even going to lose a hair off their head in this difficult storm. God's going to help you. By the way, I think that could be true for all of us. God is going to help us. We must believe him and trust him. I want, to, I want to believe that. I want to encourage you to believe that and trust the Lord specifically. I would also like to say to you, friend, uh, that after they ate it, they were of good cheer. There's something about taking in spiritual strength that brings joy to your life. And I want you to have it, and you need to have it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's our strength. It helps us, and it will help you. Taking in spiritual food. Let's look at another thing real quickly. After they ate, look at the next thing that happens in the verse of Scripture, would you please? Verse number 30 7, the Bible says, And there were in all in the ship two hundred, three score, and sixteen. And we talked about this on Sunday. It didn't say people. It said souls. Then verse 38, read out loud with me, would you please, wherever you may be. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. This is kind of interesting. They had already thrown the tackling they had already thrown some other things that were more luxurious, and, but they were non-essentials early in this storm. But now they've eaten. They're all full. There is a cheer. There's a joy inside of them. And they said, let's take out the... It's a grain ship. It's full of wheat. It carries weight. And they're getting ready to be bounced around in this, uh, in this harbor heading to the land. And they said, let's get rid of the wheat. And they, I don't know if they put it out and in bushels and all pa- packed up together, or if they just kept shoveling out open in the open seas, but they got rid of the wheat. And I say, Pastor, what do we learn about that? Here's what I learned. In a storm, don't sweat the light stuff. Don't sweat the light stuff. The little things aren't going to matter all that much. And souls will go over uh, substance. You know, something about a storm 
kind of helps you see how important the stuff in your garage really isn't. How important those things at one time you treasured, they really aren't. You can get through without NBA. You can get through without March Madness. You can get through without some of the things we thought we had to have to make it. You know, when you're in a storm, remember that souls trump substance. Souls are more important than what you have. Even food here, hey, they weren't going to be in that shit much longer. And Paul probably admonished him. He went from being a prisoner and a nobody to really the captain and the chaplain of the ship. He said, let's get rid of this stuff. They opened it out. They let the wheat out into the sea because in just a few short minutes, that ship was going to be battered and all those planks that kept that, sea, that wheat inside there were going to be all over that ocean and people were going to use that as floating boards to get to land. So whenever you're in a storm, get the value of things that are important. And then I want to say closing tonight, thank you for listening. I want to say that we learn in a storm, first of all, that storms cause us to be selfish. We have to reject that selfish impulse. Number two, storms are a time to stay on the ship, especially those skilled and experienced sailors in the work of the Lord. Don't quit when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh when care presses you down a bit. Rest if you must, but don't you quit. Success may be failure when it's inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt, and we can never tell how close we are. Success may be near when it seems like so far, so stick to the fight. Stay on the ship. When your heart is hit, it's when things go wrong that you mustn't quit. Don't quit, especially you that are skilled and experienced sailors over many a troubled way. We need you. Stay in the ship. We learned that. We need to take nourishment in the ship. Souls are more important than substance. And listen, we ought to see things from a spiritual standpoint. And then lastly, I want you to see this. Let's go back to our pastor's scripture. I'll make one more point. We're done this evening. Look, if you would please, beginning at verse number 39. And when it was day, and knew not, they, uh, they knew not the land. They saw the land, I think, but they didn't know where it was. But they discovered a certain creek uh, with the shore and uh, into which they were minded, if it were possible, to be thrust in the ship. And they were to put the ship in that, in that area. That area is now called St. Paul's Harbor in the, the, the island of Malta. It's kind of a neat story there. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves into the sea and loosed the rudder bands, and, uh, and they hoisted up the mainsail, that big sail we saw on that ship. They put it up there, and they let the wind take them in toward shore. Verse 41, and falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship, a ground. The ship stuck. The front forepart stuck fast into the sand or into the, uh, the harbor there and remained unmovable. And the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. By the way, I'm sure the owner of the ship who was aboard the ship did not want that or that, that captain did not want to have his ship destroyed. But quite frankly, it was the key to get other people to shore. We'll see that because some came in on broken pieces. But let's look at this next thought real quickly, if you would. Verse number 42, and the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners. 
lest any of them should swim out and escape. So the soldiers came, the centurion, they came to Julius, and they say, listen, boss, these guys, we're going everywhere. I'm jumping in the water. Everybody's getting in. We can't trust these prisoners. And if any of them get away, whatever their crime was is what the guard or the soldier was required to pay. If they were guilty of murder, then that's exactly the price that they were having to pay. The soldier who was responsible for them would have to pay that. And or they would just they would kill them. So that was a bother for them. So the soldiers came to Julius before the ship was totally broke up and before they dived in. They said, listen, boss. Let's just kill them right here on the ship, and we'll just tell them went to a shipwreck, and they died. And then we know we're safe. We won't have to take a gamble on that. One of those guys getting away. And, uh, but notice what happens. Would you please look, if you would please, at verse number 43. Read it out loud with me. Wherever you may be, read it with me, would you? Chapter 27, verse 43. And the centurion, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they would, would swim, should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. And then the verse 44 says, And the rest, some on broken boards, some on broken pieces of the ship, and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. I remember hearing a message recently by Brother Hiles years ago on some on broken pieces. It blessed my heart. I was glad to hear that message. But here's the point. Julius, that centurion, he said, look, I like Paul. Paul's my friend. Yes, he was a prisoner, but now he's my companion. He's my friend. I think probably Julius accepted Jesus. He said, I, I can't see myself killing Paul. So we're keeping all the prisoners. And, of course, he was the authority, and that's what happened. Here's my point. In the storms of life, you and I garner some of the deepest relationships on the planet. People that you go through difficult times with, God unites your heart. I'll never forget walking into a room of our closest friends in Long Beach, California, on the morning after our son Tyler passed away. It was a long walk. It was a long ride from our house at 2670 Magnolia Avenue to 1000 Pine Avenue. And right there, I remember getting into that room, and I had Linda, and we didn't have Lacey yet, but we had the seven other kids, and I remember walking in there, and it was just packed, wall to wall. People were weeping, crying. But over the next few hours, days, and weeks, in our storm, there was a bond made there that was very precious, very beautiful. And I think it was God-given. And I think God has bonds for you and I to make while we go through our difficult times. There's friends that you're going to get that you, you wouldn't have any other way except for coronavirus 2019. Dealing with the storm with wisdom. Asking God to help us. And by the way, the Bible says a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. What can you do to be a friend to someone to deepen a, 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 a Christian relationship during this time. If you lead someone to Christ, they'll forever be thankful for your friendship during the storm. I think 276 people started off with three Christians. I think it ended up with a lot of Christians. We don't know how many, but they got to see God work through one surrendered saints, or maybe two or maybe three. I'm sure Aristarchus and Luke had a part as well. 
But friend, I want to encourage you during your storm, remember there are other sailors in the storm with you. There are other passengers going through difficult times. You and I ought to be trusting in God's presence, his purpose, and his power. We're concluding our Bible study tonight. But I want to just say this. If you're here and you're listening on this live stream, and you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. You're not sure that when life's over, you have eternal life with God. He loves you. And his judgment is coming to this planet far more and far more serious than coronavirus could ever dream of being. One day, this world's going to melt with a fervent heat. And in a hundred years from tonight, all that's going to matter is where you live, with God in heaven or without him in hell. God is not willing that anyone would go to hell, but all would come to repentance. Dear friend, if you're listening tonight, you're not sure. If you were to die, you go to heaven. There is someone standing by right now at that phone number on your screen. You can call it, 219-932-0711. Someone will take that phone number and transfer you to somebody that can help you and open the Bible and tell you how to be saved. Schedule an opportunity to talk to you in person. Maybe you've been saved and you haven't been baptized yet. We can help you arrange that. Maybe you have another spiritual need. You just need someone to pray with you for a few moments. That's what that number is for. Don't miss it. Call right now, 219-932-0711. Or you can connect with us and uh, go to the little uh, live stream. There's a, there's a gospel presentation that will help you know how to be saved at the fbchammond.com slash salvation. And you can go right there. Go to the website. You'll be able to find it, God's Way to Heaven. We want you to have that comfort. 